Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each Sunday, you'll join us at the Messiah Lutheran Church Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we are continuing our series in the book of Matthew titled, Living the Life of the Beloved and the Belonged. Enjoy. Okay, let's get into our our study then for today as we uh, pick it up in Matthew 6. And where we are now in the study is we've just finished Jesus's words of the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so he went through that in terms of a prayer. And now we're picking it up with this, what, this one additional uh, 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 words, uh, verses that he gives us that are reinforcing one of the petitions in the prayer, which is the one that we all love, of course, right? The forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we do what? As we forgive, yeah, other people. All right, so, so apparently Jesus thought that was pretty important because then he adds this sort of extra part on the end. It's not part of the prayer, but it's, it's an emphasis that deals with that particular petition, all right? So before we get to that, just reviewing what we talked about last week, all right, daily bread includes anything that is needed to preserve our life and freedom. So you think about what that could be. Daily bread could be, uh, well, it could be daily food. It could be the necessities of life that we need. Um, I, I told you last week that Luther also included bi- good business practices and, and good business dealings and, and people that you could deal with that were honest. He would have included that as well. And so uh, there's many things that could go into daily bread. Forgiving, number two, forgiving others may be the, one of the greatest tests of your faith walk. Why do you think that is? Why is forgiving other people... Why, in what way could that be one of the greatest tests? Because it's kind of hard to do, right? I mean, if somebody has hurt you, if somebody has, uh, has uh, abused you in some way, if somebody has, and maybe continues that, so it's not like one time and then they went away. I mean, that our emotions get into that and our sense of safety, our sense of fairness. How many of you are like real keen on fairness? Come on, all the oldest children in the family, raise your hand. We know who you are, yes. It's supposed to be that way, right? Because after all, fair is fair, right? By the way, how did your family teach you fairness? How did your parents do that? Would they have a specific uh, strategy in mind to do that? No, give it to your brother. Give it to your brother. That was fairness. All right, yes. What? Oh, yeah, Scott. They would say the fair comes around once a year in October. (laughs) Nobody over there heard what you just said, so you have to say that again. What would you say? My dad would say the fair comes around once a year in October. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. That's fairness. Okay, that's fairness. I know I've told you this before. In our family, the way that uh, fairness was taught was that because there was five kids, and I'm the oldest, still am. And so whenever there was a treat, like a pie or a cake or something like that, then the way that they would do it is they would say, okay, the oldest gets to cut the pieces. That's fair. You're the oldest. You would have that responsibility, right? And then the youngest gets first choice. 
So my skills for honing the exact you know, geometry of a pie is just, un, un, but that's where that I taught, I learned that. So fairness, yeah, is a big deal for some of us. All right, then number three, the, the forgiver chooses to bear the pain which the forgivee has caused. Remember we talked about that last time. That's, that's one of the hard things about forgiveness is that what that means when you forgive somebody, you're acknowledging the pain that that person has caused, correct? Yeah, okay, so we pretend this is the, this is the hurt that somebody caused. So as long as I'm not forgiving, what I'm doing is I'm taking that hurt and I'm holding it against that person. So now who is bearing the pain of the pain they caused? They are. What forgiveness means is I do what? I take it from him and now I'm going to bear it. Yeah, that's why it's hard. That's why it's hard. Now, what am I going to do with it? Give it to Jesus. I'm going to lay it at the foot of the cross. See, but it means then that the, the, there's, a, there's an obligation that I'm, uh, I'm obligating myself to do in my behavior toward you if I forgive you. And the obligation is now I'm going to treat you as one whom I have forgiven instead of treat you as one who hurt me and I'm going to hold that against you for hurting me. And every time I see you, I'm going to remind you how much you hurt me, right? I'm not going to do that. And that's, that's the challenge. That's why it is a tough test of faith to do that because I'm sort of thinking, wait a minute, this is not fair. This is not right. You're the one that hurt me. Why should I have to be the one to bear that? But you see, that's what Jesus did. Jesus did that. What did he take upon himself in order to earn forgiveness for us? Our sins and the pain of that sin. Yeah. Okay. So forgiveness, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of a tough one. Yeah, Madeline. You, you have mentioned that we don't, are not obligated to trust that person. Yeah. And do we have to like him? Oh, Madeline. <laughs> So she wants to know, so, okay, so we talked about, okay, forgive, forgive, all right, trust, two different things, right? Forgive is an act of love, trust is an act of if, if you're trustworthy. Now, what is it you wanted to know? Do we have to what? If I don't trust that person again, yeah. and, but I can love him as a fellow human being, mm -hmm. I don't have to like that person. You don't have to like them. I don't, I've not seen anywhere in the Bible where it says thou shalt like people that, yeah, yeah. And we may not. And it may also be true that you have forgiven that person. You love that person. You pray for that person. But because that person doesn't respect boundaries, you put some boundaries around and that person says, eh, whatever, I can do whatever I want with you or to you. Well, then that's a trust issue. You can't trust that person. So you're probably going to have to love that person and forgive that person from a distance. You may have to like them from a distance, but you're not obligated to like them. We sure don't like what they do. Okay. And so that leads us into the fourth one is that God's forgiving you may be one of the greatest tests of God's love for you. Does that ever occur to you? That as painful as it might be for you to forgive other people, it's equally painful for God to forgive you. Do you ever like think about that? No, that we never, that never occurs to us. Hardly ever. Because hardly ever do we look at ourselves and say, gee, I wonder what I'm doing that would be like disappointing to God. I wonder what I'm doing. You know, we don't, we just don't think of it that way. 
But when you think in terms of the, what it costs God to forgive us, that's a pretty high price. And yet he was willing to do it, right? Howard, did you have your, or Martha, did you have your hand oh, up? Oh, I'm glad that you gave it away. Oh, good. Uh, and because what I was going to say is that, you know, when you are able to come to terms that you can forgive, mm-hmm. to get rid of that uh, hatred or that disdain for yeah. the person who wronged you, yeah. to get rid of it, it's so cathartic. I mean, it's like, it's a good feeling. And sometimes, Madeline, sometimes they... They can earn that trust back. Sometimes. Oh yeah, but it, it may take a little time. Yeah, um, some never can. And incrementally is kind of the best way to do it. I think, but maybe probably any of us here have thought to ourselves, "Well, he said he was sorry, and I forgave him, and so then that should be enough." We probably all of us have gone down that route. I know I have, and then. And then thought, oh, everything's okay, everything's great. And then the same thing happens all over again, and it's like, okay, where, where did I goof up? Well, where I goofed up was I trusted too quickly. So it's okay to build a trust plan in place. It's okay to do that. In fact, I would sort of suggest that would be a real good thing to do. But you might have to make it incrementally. Okay? So an easy example is your teenage kid wants to borrow the car and says, I promise I'll put gas in it when I'm done driving it. Okay, I believe you. I love you. And so then they go do it and they bring the car back. And the next time you want to get in the car and drive somewhere, you look at the thing when you turn on the key and it says E. So what has just happened? Trust is what? Taking a hit, right? Okay. All right. So it's not, it's not love to, well, love, I guess, but you can love that person still. You can forgive that person still, but what might you have to do with respect to a trust plan? Make him say it, Ed. Yeah. Make him pay some sort of a down payment <laughs> or something like that. Okay. So it's, again, it's this idea of trust can be earned either in a negative way. I can earn your mistrust as well as a positive way, I can earn your high trust. And the beauty of, of that is that that is a sliding scale. It's a sliding scale. So wherever trust has been lost, okay, we, we all hurt for a little bit on that. But let's figure out some ways to do like uh, nano inches on the trust scale, okay? And sometimes that's how it works, okay? Sometimes that's how it works. Any other thoughts about that? Yes, Sharon. So we're taught God forgives us. We are to forgive others. Yes. What about forgiving ourselves? She's asking, what about forgiving ourselves? You know, an example I have is um, I was in the store, uh, came out early in the morning on the parking lot, and an older woman came along and asked for money. Yeah. And I had used my credit card because I didn't, didn't have Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I had to deny it. Yeah. And then maybe 10 days later, um, a young man in the same store came up to me, and he was like maybe 26 years old, clean, yeah. you know, just and but a pain look on his face mm-hmm. and said that he and his wife had, um, and their children had signed uh, a lease, mm-hmm. but they're $12 short. Mm-hmm. And he just kept on looking at me with this pain. Look. And I looked at him, paused, 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 and I said, I think I'm going to pass. But for 
the next week, I would you felt bad. dream about it. You felt bad. Dream about it. Yeah. Seeing your face. Sure. And so. Yeah. So what she's asking about is when someone presents a need to you and for whatever reason you choose not to do it. Either you can't or you just don't. You don't. Okay. And so then you feel a guilt. Yeah. Personal guilt. And then so what do you do with that? Is there such a thing as forgiving yourself? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So how, what would be a way that Sharon could do that? Forgive herself. Give it to God. Of the charity that you believe in, are you feel comfortable with? That would be penance. <laughs> okay, and penance is not bad. That's it's actually a kind of a good thing. But but the idea of forgiveness is separate from that. Okay, so in forgiveness, what I'm going to do is I'm going to confess this to the Lord and just kind of say, you know, I just maybe I didn't know what to do, or maybe I didn't trust that person, or maybe this was a a professional person who is going to do that. Okay. You know that, and all those things are possible. Okay. But I'm going to let that go. Right. Cause the deal with guilt is that sometimes, and I, I like to talk about it this way. There's two kinds of guilt. There's earned guilt and I, what I call carried guilt. So earned guilt. So how would you know if you had earned guilt well, a good way to do that is look in the uh, Bible and you'll see these 10 things that God says for people to do. I forget what they're called. Oh, yeah, the Ten Commandments, <laughs> right? And all you have to do is look at that as a wonderful guide of how it ought to be, right? It's a good guide. And then you just go through the list and you think, okay, where is it that I flubbed? Where is it that I f- did a misstep? Where is it that I didn't? live up to whatever the standard was that was presented by that. And if I didn't do that and I feel guilty, that's good. I have earned that guilt. See, that's the difference. You can point to something in the Bible and say, it says, well, I should be kind and I wasn't kind or it should be this or it should be that. Okay. Carried guilt is a little different because carried guilt sometimes I think comes out of the families that we grew up in and it's not necessarily attributed to anything in the Bible. Even if your parents said it was. Does that make sense? And so see, in some families, there are these things called life commandments or family commandments where it's sort of thou shalt not do this in front of the church people. If you grew up in a pastor's family, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not that it's against the Bible. It's against how we do things in this family, even if it's dysfunctional. Even if it's the all, we're the only family in the whole, you know, world that does it that way. And so how you know that you've touched on one of those things is later in life, you're, when you're doing the right thing, you feel guilty. You feel guilty. Because it's like somebody is rolling over in their grave at that moment and they're saying, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. Okay. So that's the difference sometimes between carried guilt and, uh, and earned guilt. I would say in this case, carried guilt. But it still feels the same, doesn't it? So give it to Jesus. Okay? Give it to Jesus. And then maybe go do penance, <laughs> which can be a good thing. That can be a good thing. It's not earning anything for you. That, the forgiveness is already paid for. Okay? But maybe you might feel better. And we do this, by the way, at our church. We don't do penance. Okay? I should say that for the sake of our recording. Um, (laughs) 
But we, what we do in our church is that we give, uh, we contribute to Network, uh, Plano Network and Richardson Network. And these are organizations that have the resources to check people out, to vet people, to see if the need is legitimate or if it's just kind of part of a racket or something like that. So if you ever felt like uncertain of that, you could actually call the church office and we would say, oh yeah, that's what we do. And so that's a way to contribute to the needs of others, but do it in a way that's safe and do it in a way that where the resources actually do go to the, to the person's need and they don't get sort of, you know, uh, derailed in some way. Yes. To touch upon the forgiving yourself, I think, should, should we not be careful of being too forgiving of the actions we give? Like, this carry guilt, we should be, we absolutely be able to forgive ourselves the problems we've not done ourselves, but if we forgive ourselves too often, could then it be a slippery slope and uh, just try to make excuse for our actions? Yeah, his question is, if I forgive myself too easily for earned guilt, could I just start taking it for granted and taking it lightly and saying, oh, hey, I can do whatever I want because I'm already forgiven. Could I do that? Yes, we could do that. So we're taking it very seriously. Okay, we're doing that. But at the same time, sometimes we end up carrying it for way too long. And if you carry it too long, that's going to start to affect your health. That's going to start to affect your relationships. That starts to affect the joy that you have in life because you're hanging on to the whatever that is and you keep beating yourself up for it and saying, boy, what an idiot I am and stupid I am and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, well, God forgave me a long time ago. I just didn't get around to doing that for myself. So we need to treat each other in the way that God uh, treats us, but we also need to treat ourselves in the way that God treats us. Okay, to use the good point, great point. Uh, so, oh, yeah, Richard. Well, the other thing is that strikes me is the other name that Satan has is the accuser. Uh-huh. And so when we're struggling with for- forgiveness, we need to recognize that when we have, when we do forgiveness, it is forgiven. Yeah. And and Satan is going to say, nah, not really. Yeah. And we have to be aware of that. That's right. That the Satan is the master of the of lying in such a way that it sounds reasonable. And then accusing us that that we're really not forgiven because after all, when you look at what you did and the pain that it caused, and maybe it's to the third and fourth generation, there's no way that God would ever forgive you. And of course, it depends on what we're talking about here, right? But there's a lot of us and a lot of people, I think, who go through life not being certain of the forgiveness that God has already won for them. And sometimes I think it's because they look at the implications of that sin and they see the implications of it living beyond what they thought it would. It's a little bit like in the Bible, the story of David and Bathsheba. God forgave David for the, for the, uh, the adultery and the murder of Uriah. But the implications of what he did, he had to live with that and see that play itself out in his life way beyond the time when it happened. And when you're the one seeing the implication of that going way beyond just that little time frame in which that thing's happened, that's pretty painful. And so that's, again, where the idea of God's forgiveness and God's mercies is that we turn to them every day. And there are some things in life for which we have to do it every day. 
because that's the only way you're going to get through that day. So when you get home, go back and look at the Old Testament reading for this morning from Lamentations. I picked out on purpose because that really speaks to this idea. His mercies are new every morning. So what are you doing to remind yourself of his mercies new every morning? Those of you that have buckets of grace, you know exactly what we're talking about here. Because every morning, what does God do? He comes and he fills that bucket full of grace. And it's the amount of grace that you're going to need to get through this day, which includes forgiving yourself and others. Okay? So it's, uh, there are some tasks, I think, and forgiveness is probably one of them, which is why Jesus pointed that out if we ever actually get to it, is, uh, is that uh, it takes the grace of God and the power of God's grace to do it. Because my ability to do it and my willingness to do it and my strength to do it is about an inch deep, if that. And if I'm hurt, it's not there at all. Yes? You know, we hear about uh, God's forgiveness all the time. Yes. But still, sometimes I get that kind of feeling that, did God really forgive me? Yeah. You know? Yeah. The old doubt kicks in. And that's, again, when humanly we're going to doubt, just as part of being human. But that's when we go back to the Word, see? And the Word is always, it's always sure. But I want to make, I want to try as much as I can to go back to that word in such a repetitive way that it becomes a part of me. So that when the doubt kicks in, here comes the word. See? So there's some merit and some value to being able to do that. Okay? Make sense? Yeah? Yeah, March. Doesn't it make it easier to forgive if you look at at the person who wronged you and and think about what must be going on in their lives uh, to cause their actions? Yeah, if we ever actually get to it in our lesson for today, (laughs) we're going to touch on that because there are some ways for us to make it, uh, uh, easier is the wrong word, but to incorporate God's forgiveness into how we do it. Okay, so shall we make a pact with each other that we're actually going to get to that, uh, that, uh, this? Okay, so anyway, uh, verses 14 and 15. All right, so what does Jesus say? He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Yikes. Boy, I feel better. But, you know, there is that stern word there, a little law here, I think, because this is a significant thing. This is not, forgiveness isn't just, okay, when I get around to it. I think what he's really saying here is pay attention to this one because this, this is a big deal. All right, so if you forgive other people when they sin, the Greek word here, and we've talked about this, that there are different words, uh, different Greek words in that language for the word sin. We, it all gets translated as sin for us, but we think, when we think sin, we think of moral failing, or we think of, you know, oh, you intentionally hurt me. And that's not what this word means, okay? This word means an accidental slipping across the line. So it's like if, if, so, if, if somebody has a fence line right here, and, I'm, and there's not a fence there, but there is the property line. And I'm just like walking along and I'm not even paying attention. And I go, whoops, what have I just done? Sinned 
across the line accidentally, but I wasn't, I wasn't thinking that about it. It wasn't in my intent to do that. It was just like that. Okay. Well, that's what he's talking about when he says, if somebody sins against you, it's when others impulsively or temporarily lose control of what they say or do to you. Right now, do you know that at the time that they do it? Not necessarily, right? It may well be that you're thinking, oh, I know why you did that. And the other person's going, well, no, you don't. I mean, that, that there's not been enough uh, clarification on, on why it was that it happened. There's just indication that, in fact, it did because your footprint is right there, right? Okay, all right. But it's these kinds of things that, that happen in the heat of the moment. If I say something that's stupid and then it hurts your feelings, or if I do something that I thought would be hilarious and it wasn't, okay, stuff like that, all right? So he says, if you forgive, and then he says, do not forgive, and then he says, your father's will. Okay, so here's the way I like to try to illustrate it like this, because I want you to think in terms of the flow, all right? So we're going to do, do it like this. We put God up here. And God does what? God forgives who? Yeah, me. And then what do I do with the forgive? I forgive who? Others or you. That's flow. So what happens if I'm willing to say, oh yeah, God forgives me. I'm real happy to receive his forgiveness. What happens to the flow if I say, but I'm not forgiving you? What happens to the flow? I stop the flow. That's what he's talking about. Now, you know, it, could I, in the spur of the moment, be so hurt that I would say, I will never forgive you for what you did. I can't believe you did that. But then later go back and go, well, that was the heat of the moment. Could I do that? Yeah. So I think what we're talking about here is a continual action, not a single moment when I'm hurt and in the heat of the moment, I do what? I refuse to forgive. I think we're talking here about something that's more of a permanent basis. Because the issue is, could I put, could I put myself in spiritual jeopardy where I would refuse God's forgiveness? Could I do that? It's hard to imagine how we would, but could you? Sure. Could I embitter myself so much over what somebody did to me 20 years ago? And I keep replaying that in my head over and over again. And every single time I see that person or think of that person's name, that rage comes up from within. And I'm planning all sorts of ways that I could get revenge to that person. Could I kill my faith? Yes. Yes. It would be a slow death. And God, in his mercy and his love, would know if I actually had killed my faith or not. Because he knows where there's a smoldering wick, right? But from all the outside appearances, the embittered spirit, the, the, the grudging spirit, if it didn't kill my faith, it for sure would kill every other relationship that I had in life. Because nobody wants to be around that. And we've all known people that have given themselves over to that choice. Okay? And I think that's what he's cautioning here. He's saying forgiveness is a big deal. Don't take it lightly, but don't, 
Don't, don't procrastinate it. Don't, don't give in to the temptation that you're going to get through the liar of the devil himself and the accuser and who's going to constantly say things like, yeah, boy, you really got ripped off on that one. And because there's some, I don't know, reasonableness there, we think, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So that, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. All right. So beloved life principle number 33, though, is God's forgiveness of you is an event. Your forgiveness of others may be a process over time. Okay. And that's very possible. You might have to work at forgiving over time of that person. And that's, uh, I found that to be particularly true when hurt is part of the equation. So the deeper you hurt me, if you betray me, if you uh, abuse me in some way, if you, uh, well, if, if, if those kinds of things occur, hurt really does affect the peace you have inside and the willingness that you have to want to forgive. That's why it takes the, the power of God's grace. It takes that, but it takes it over time. It's not going to happen just right away. Even if you say the words, I forgive you right away, you're probably going to have to remind yourself a thousand times that you said that, right? Yeah, because, because the hurt is still uh, a, a, uh, an emotional presence in your, in, your, in your body. Okay? Somebody had their hand up. Yeah. So using that diagram for example, so it is up to us to forgive them of the sin they committed against us, yes. But the, the diagram, look at it, the, the, you forgiving them also leads them to back towards God in that situation. Mm -hmm. So while it is up to us to forgive them, should it not be also up to them to go to God for forgiveness as well? Especially given the, the word here for slipping across the line unintentionally. Mm -hmm. For unintentional slips, it might be up to us to forgive them, yes. But if it's, a, if it's an intentional slip, mm -hmm. perhaps it might also be wise to leave them to God so they can seek forgiveness from him as well. It could be. And what I have found is, is that to the degree that I refuse to forgive that person and then treat that person as one whom I have not forgiven, it's going to be pretty tough to lead that person to Jesus because my refusal to forgive is having a greater impact on that person than any words I might say about how wonderful Jesus is and how forgiving and loving he is because my actions toward that person is, is contradictory to what I'm saying. Does that, does that make sense? And so that's the other part of it. That's a great point because, because how am I going to do, how am I going to help this person get to know Jesus if the way that I'm treating you would indicate that I don't know Jesus? That person is going to say, well, if that's the kind of Jesus you love and loves you, I want no part of that. Yeah. But also to add to his point to me, yes, we, are, we want to forgive the other person, but we don't have control over that other person, like the serenity. That's prayer. correct. So yeah. we, we can't really control what they'll do next. That's correct. Yeah. It's just that it's, I guess the point I'm trying to make it, it, is that if I'm in relationship with that person, there might be an opportunity at least to lead that person in that direction. Now, it's still going to be up to that person to, to individually do that with God. Okay. But I'm just saying that if, if my actions toward you conflict with my words of what this is all about, how is that going to give a clear 
message to that person that it's worth it to do this. Yeah, Jean. Well, it's also in this cycle, it's not just for the other person. You're in this cycle also. Yeah. When you forgive someone, they might not, they don't, it could be a case where they don't, they're not looking for your forgiveness. They don't think they need it. They don't even know that. They don't even know that you've done it. Right. But right. It, it's very free. Mm-hmm. And it's, it feels very good to let go of that. Sure. Because when you're pressing that eraser against somebody else, there's a lot of effort going both ways. Yeah. You're pressing it against them. My effort to do that. You, it, you still yeah. have the effort of holding yeah. it. So it's, yeah. very, it, it's very good to don't make the forgiveness contingent on the other person accepting it. Yeah, that's a great point. You have to do it for yourself. Yeah. Too. yeah. I didn't get any ink on your shirt, did I, when I did that? I, you hit the Messiah. Oh, I did. Okay, good. It just occurred to me that I thought, oh, man, you know what? Okay, yeah. I protected you. Just a, one other point on that. You're not forgiving the other person and yeah. keeping it in. You're also not letting them know what they did. And particularly when you're talking the unintentional thing. Yeah. You know, I may say something, and I had no clue that I hurt somebody. Sure. And if that person just... Goes off and huff and, and never, you know, yeah. you never think. Yeah. I never know what I did to hurt him. Yes. I can never ask for forgiveness, too. Yeah. And, and be forgiven. For You're it. not going to be able to repair that because you don't know. Although, whenever that person's around you, they might, you see steam coming out of their ears. <laughs> you know, you might see that. And it, that is the worst feeling that you see that and then you have no idea what it is you did. I'm sure there's at least one or two here that have can relate to this. And then what happens is you ask the person what's wrong and they say nothing. <laughs> and then they slam something in the kitchen <laughs> or some other room of the house and you're completely mystified. And to some degree, have you found, some of you maybe have found this, is that there's a certain power in keeping somebody on edge about what they did. Have you noticed this? There's a certain power there, and you feel sort of like, I got one over on you, but I'm not going to tell you what it is, and you must grovel and be this sort of slave to me and do penance, and then maybe I'll get around to telling you what it was. And then the other person is just like shuffling through the day. And so sometimes, now sometimes this happens in church life. Are you aware of this? It happens in church life when somebody gets upset about something that a pastor did. Uh, many times it's upset about something the pastor didn't do, but in their minds the pastor should have done. And one of the difficult things very often from the person, the perspective of the pastor person is that when a person will not tell the pastor what it was, but will tell other people what it is, or will tell the church leaders what it is, and then they will say, but don't use my name. <laughs> yeah. So that makes it impossible then for the pastor person to be able to repair that. Does it take courage to speak up for yourself when someone has offended you or hurt you. It absolutely does. And sometimes we have a bad history of trying that and then it blew up in their face. And so then people say, oh, never again will I ever do that again. But that's why we have, le we have church leaders. We have elders in our church who are willing to accompany people and, and will walk with them to go and talk about whatever it is that, uh, that has offended them. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm... 
Am I springing news to you guys that are elders that this is what you're supposed to be doing? Yeah. In case you didn't know, okay. Yeah, but, but that's that walking together with, because sometimes it is hard to do the one-on-one with somebody, particularly if that person happens to be a, a, a high-profile person like a pastor or something like that. Okay, all right, yes. At the risk of complicating the diagram. You're, gonna, you're, about, to, you're about to do something to this simple thing here? Okay. All right, go ahead, and then everyone else will get to tell you what they think of that, okay? Right. Yeah, go ahead. But I guess what I'm wondering is sometimes we run into people that are, they're caught in their loop, in that loop. Where are they caught? They're caught in, we'll say, right here? Um, not being forgiven or, and developing bitterness, okay. all those negative things, yeah. okay? It's like you're not part of the loop, but you are part of the loop. Because as a, I'll say a bystander over here, mm-hmm. okay, um, I can't sit there and say, that must be tough for John to be really mad at God. Um, Do nothing. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think there's something that I'll say us bystanders need to do to that loop. Oh, could be. To influence in some way. If yeah, it, to yeah. overcome. In other words, if we'll say uh, somebody offended John and yes. refuses to for, you know, yeah. ask for forgiveness, mm-hmm. then John's kind of got this I'm still John's friend. I have a responsibility to him. So what would you do if, look, to sort of build on that. And thank you for not getting up and erasing this or changing this because I would have felt offended by that. Let me tell you. Yeah, this is my domain right here. All right. What do you do if you have somebody in your life, like your family or a friend or a church member, whoever it is, who gets uh, offended by something that somebody did or should have done, but didn't omission, commission. Okay. And comes to you. What are you going to do? They don't go to the person that did it or who, who hurt their feelings, but they come to you. What are you going to do? I'd like to know, and would somebody take names here for me? Of uh, Yeah, what do you do? John? Well, one of the first things, we, and we talked about this at Elders, is especially inside the church, it's, well, have you talked to the other person yet? Right. And if they say no, then you say, well, that should be the first approach. So, and then it's, do you want me to go with you? Do you want right. me to be there with you? I understand you're hurt. Yeah. But it, it, part of it is turning it back to that person right. to say, have mm-hmm. you taken any action to address it? Yeah, that, that's what ought to be, right? That's what ought to be, yeah. So any of you that get offended by anything I do or say in this room, everybody go to John because... <laughs> But no, that's that. Now, again, that would be the ideal. And we certainly want to press that for people. But we would recognize that there are some situations where that's not going to happen. Okay. Or the person would say, well, I tried that and it didn't work. And it because the thing that they wanted didn't happen, they think that it didn't work. But still, there's still a a separation there, okay? So the next thing would be to offer to go with that person, but to help that person understand that in going with him or her, it's not two-on-one. 
the going with is not so that you can speak for that person. It's that person speaks for himself or herself, but you're there to support that to, so that some assurances of the conversation actually going well will happen. Right. And you're not taking sides. That's correct. And so that's the harder part, I think, in terms of people's expectations, because they assume that, well, now someone will speak for me. Now someone will be the one to get this thing done, right? And um, that's where you have to be, particularly if you're an elder in a church, you have to be mindful that you're serving two things. You're serving the individual, but you're also being protective of the trust level between the pastor and the elder. And that can't be sacrificed, but it often does get sacrificed in the name of friendship or family or whoever it is that, that is upset. The goal, see, always is that we want to repair. That's the goal. We want to repair. And the way repairing happens is the process of forgiveness. Yes, ma'am. Well, just you're making, you're both making an assumption that the person talking to you wants something done mm-hmm. when all they may want is someone to listen to them. That's correct. And so because the listening would happen in the course of a meeting as opposed to the course of that it wouldn't happen if they didn't meet, somehow that has to be facilitated. Yeah, absolutely. And I found that to be very true and will often coach it that if you listen to someone and value them by listening, that's all that's needed. Now, sometimes it's not all that's needed. Sometimes there has to be more, right? But listening is huge and doing it without getting defensive. Okay, so finally now we're going to move into this part that will answer Marge's question from like 35 minutes ago, okay? All right, so how might we do this? If we're thinking of forgiveness as a process over time, what are some things that we can do that actually would support that? would actually promote that, okay? So there might be some different ways to do that. Number one is to invite the other person to tell you his or her reasons for the slip-up. That's assuming the other person thinks they messed up. Right. Well, it, this, what the, the assumption here, the assumption here is, is now we're meeting. Okay. It's clear that there's something going on, but I don't know what it is, Okay. And there, yeah, then very often that is the case, okay? But, you know, it's kind of one of those moments where you, you know in your head that something happened, but you don't know why it did. And the other person is dying to tell you why they did what they did. And if you don't invite them to tell you, they'll tell you anyway. But it'll come off sounding like an excuse. So what you're going to do is invite them. You're just going to say, you know, Marv, I know that there's two sides to every story and I can see what happened. It's just, I don't know what was, what were you thinking when you did what you did or what, what, what was going on or what was the reasons for it? See, I'm going to invite that. Yeah. And then you're going to tell me, and then I'm going to say, that is ridiculous. You shouldn't. (laughs) Yeah. What? You're talking about what? Okay. All right. So now the second one is you're going to be open to understanding, do what? Say, do what? Yeah, 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 nothing. And yeah, and then you'll be slamming stuff, you know, all that. Okay. All right. So the second thing is you're going to be open to understanding or giving some positive benefit of the doubt. Now, how might you do that? How do people earn positive benefit of the doubt with you? 
You ever thought about that? Their track record. Their track record. When you do kind things for people, guess what that's doing? That is building positive benefit of the doubt so that when you mess up, that person will go in their brain and think what? Oh, you know, you care about me so much, and I know you slipped up this one time, and probably, this happens to me a lot, uh, you were uh, busy, and you were seeing to other people's needs, and you just didn't get around to visiting me in the hospital, it. Right? It's positive benefit of the doubt. So it's consistency over time, and showing up and stepping up and doing stuff builds that. That's what, in the business world, I think they call that goodwill. You're building goodwill. Okay? That's what that is. Yes. Do pastors' wives have elders? Do pastors' wives have elders? <laughs> Do they? <laughs> Gee, I hope so. I don't know. I don't know. Pastors. Do they? Yeah. You know the the life of pastor's wife. That's a that's a delicate spot. You know, because if they're mad at the pastor, who are they going to yell at? <laughs> You know, what are they going to do? And then if they're mad at somebody in the church, what are they going to do? Well, what's even worse is that they're around the pastor, but they don't have anybody to tell. Because you can't go to other people. The yeah, you're going to go to your elder and complain about the pastor? What are you, <laughs> what are you going to do there? I know that's, that's a precarious. No, no, it is. This is a very precarious situation. It very much is. Now, it's harder in a smaller church, I think, than it is a larger church. And since I've served in both settings, then I can speak for I can speak with some, you know, experience that way. In a larger church, you have more anonymity, and so there are people in our church that don't even know I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> and there are people that, for sure, don't know who I'm married to, right? But in a church of 35 or a church of 200, there there no everybody knows, okay. So there is a little bit of that sense of, you know, where you're at and how you deal with that. But it is a very precarious, that's just the best word to describe it. It's a precarious calling. And I would call it a calling. Yeah, it's a calling. Yeah. Pastor's wife. After listening to all this, I'm sitting here thinking, well, we just need to do a lot of praying for courage. Yes. So that if we have something going on that we don't feel right about or it's making us irritated, we need the courage to be able to, to to go to this person and say, look, I don't know, as you say, what happened here, or yeah. I'm trying to understand this, sure. can you help me? Yeah, or overlook it. Or, or that, but yeah. you know, really to be able to talk to a person about something, if it's really bothering you, yeah. it's not going to go away. No, it's not going to go away. And, and if you can have the courage, and we have to pray for that sometimes. Yeah. To do the right thing, there. Yeah. the right thing may be to forget about it, mm -hmm. or it might be if you can talk about this and bothering me. That's right. And to some degree, praying for a the spirit in which I would go, so that there is a a spirit in me as I go talk to you about the thing that you did, so that I'm not attacking you or I'm not, you know, just rolling over you like a bulldozer. It's not. So there is some sense of of how this happens that would then make it way more likely that forgiveness can come out of it and then we can kind of figure out what we're going to do with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, well, let's keep going here. All right. So praying for the other person 
and then treat him or her with kindness in your thoughts, words, and deeds. So we talked about that last time, that, that what I think about and what I tell myself with respect to you and what you did will impact how long it takes for me to get past the hurt feelings. It just absolutely will. Remind yourself, and I forgave him or her. That's, you'd think that that would be like a no-brainer, but you'd be surprised how much we don't do that. We don't remind ourselves that we forgave that person as God has forgiven us. And then establish some sort of redemption plan. That's what I call it for trust to be restored incrementally. I mean, if you're in a working relationship with that person or it's somebody in your family, you're with them all the time or a lot of the time, you're probably going to have to develop something that will be a, a plan of some kind to trust them. But again, every situation is, is unique and different. Okay. Look at that. We got through that whole section right there. Man, that's awesome. Well, we have a few minutes yet before I have to go back to work. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and look at Matthew 6, then 16 to 18. All right. Now, remember, Jesus is going after the three rails here of Jewish spirituality. So remember what they are. There's, there's uh, praying, there's giving to the poor, almsgiving, and now the third one, which is fasting. So he says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, so what is fasting? Just so we have sort of a common, uh, a common definition that we're all working off of here. What is fasting? Giving up food for a time. Yeah, it's the choice to abstain from eating. Now, probably not eating in the form of basic sustenance eating, like hard, tough piece of bread and maybe water, that kind of thing. But, but uh, giving up of in a, in a spiritual way, the, uh, the other things that would be uh, part of one's, uh, one's diet. So uh, a lot of people say, oh, I give up something for Lent. How many of you do that? Give up something for Lent and don't say church. Okay. That's not generally a practice that we see much of in the Lutheran church, although it's something that is, would be good to do. It's, it's uh, under the, the category of Christian freedom. So we have the freedom to do it. We have the freedom not to do it. In other church settings, uh, that's a little bit more obligatory. But uh, again, it's a, it's a freedom thing to, uh, to do that. What had happened in Jesus's day the practice of fasting had, had been corrupted over time. And usually that happens when people forget the spiritual basis or the spiritual foundation for why uh, God instituted this in the first place. And what happens is over time, we just start doing it for a lot of different reasons. Oh, because it's tradition. Oh, because my family always did it. Oh, because there are health benefits to it. Oh, because, because, because. Well, in Jesus's time, the, that practice had become something that was self-serving rather than serving God. And the three ways that that was happening was, number one, it drew, the, the, the hope was, is that if I fast, I'm showing God how spiritual I am. And if I show God how spiritual I am, then God will, will draw his attention toward me. 
The second thing is there was a witness aspect to it, to the community around where they would say, people would say, and everyone else will know how spiritual I am. They will know how, how much repentance is a part of my life. And the third thing, the, the worst, I think, was then it was an attempt to manipulate God, to get God to reward you for being so spiritual with, look at all I'm giving up. So Jesus is going after that. So what does he do? He says, don't be doing it for that reason. If you're doing it for that reason, then you have your reward. What do you have? You have people that will say, oh, how spiritual you are, but you're not. They're just saying that, right? But you're not gaining any uh, advantage. You're not gaining any blessing from God. It's just what you're getting is what people are giving to you. And that's it. So he says, instead, go wash your face, put oil on your, on your hair, on your body. Do that. Look great fasting. And everybody will go, God, you look the same to me. I can't even tell you're fasting. <laughs> They'll do that. Because you're not doing it for the reason of notoriety. You're doing it for the reason of spiritual health and spiritual growth. So the beloved life principle number 34 is manip manipulating other people by invoking their pity leads to self-worship. Because you're tricking other people into serving you. How many of you, when you're sick, like you have a headache, it's the end of the world. How many of you are like that? I'm the only one. Okay. Oh, Brian is too. Okay. Marvin is too. How many of you know somebody who's like that? Oh, all the hands go up. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So it's the end of the world when I have like stubbed my toe. And I'm moaning and groaning and I'm saying, oh, and I'm limping and I can barely get around. Can I get something from you if I do that? In the short term, Martha, I won't be coming to you when I do that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you can get stuff from people by being pitiful. And to some degree invoking their guilt, if they're good Lutherans, right, you can do that. That's what we have to watch out for because that's manipulative. That's self-serving. And that's trying to get something from people at their expense in a stealth way. And that's where Jesus is talking about. If you're going to sacrifice, if you're going to, and it's all good that you do that. And he wants us to do that. But if we're going to do that, don't make the big show. Just do it. And celebrate the fact that you're drawing closer to God, and he loves it when we do that kind of thing. But um, the caution is that in the same way that I could be blowing trumpets and showing everybody how wonderful I am, I can also be the most pitiful person there is. And, and everybody says, oh, look at his spirituality. Oh, he's so humble. Oh, I want to be as humble as he is. Right? Not that, not that you're humble. That's not what I mean. Yeah. Very proud of my humility. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and John, we often tell you how humble you are, and you you like it. I noticed that you like that. Yeah, Martha. <laughs> Since you're not going to come to me, and you're to <laughs> no, Martha, I'm not coming to you. That's right. Yes. Anyway, see, I view that as, as a, a bit of a, an immaturity and a personality trait that, that starts with our children. Yes. And and so what what I would want to do if you got a headache, I want to say, well, did you have an aspirin? 
or you know, or you know, I, I would get, steer you back onto the right track. But I think we don't want to um, do training of people that way because that that perpetuates that immature mm -hmm. personality trait yes. that starts when we're very young when we go whining to someone about. Yes, that. and for sure, I won't be coming to you, Martha. <laughs> But if I, if I need an aspirin, I know where I'm coming, and then I'll go somewhere else to get a little pity and compassion. Very good. All right. Good stuff today. Well, we need to, we need to close for today, so we'll pick it up next week with uh, whatever is the next verse. Oh, yeah, the storing up treasures. That's, that's a cool stu some cool stuff, too. All right? So let's close our prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that... Uh, your word speaks to us in such powerful ways. We know that it is so easy in life to just to kind of start buying into our own self-worship and to make our lives and, and whether we do forgiving or not, but to do all of that and make it all about us. And when we do that, we forget totally that you're the one who starts that with us. You're the one that loves us. You're the one that forgives us. You're the one that draws us closer to you. So I would simply pray, Lord, that you would uh, remind us in your word and certainly through our experiences that it isn't all about us. It's all about you and that the ways in which you have blessed us, we have the opportunity to be a blessing to those around us. Watch over us this week, dear Lord. July 4th is uh, on uh, Wednesday. We pray that uh, you'll uh, remind us of the wonderful freedoms that we have in our country and not to take them for granted, but also just simply keep us safe and keep us mindful of, of, uh, of those around us and all the different activities that are going on. So watch over us and be with us, Lord, until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.